Let us pray together. Gracious God, we thank you for the invitation that you have extended to us. In your words, when you say, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will refresh you. Open our hearts this morning to that refreshing presence. Speak into us that which you desire to say and make room in us, Lord, to be able to receive it. And so we do say, speak, Lord, your servants are listening. For it is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Just now, as I was walking around to take my place here, I walked by the podium over there, and there was a little umbrella. And the umbrella says, God's got you covered, but there isn't one over here. So I'm trusting by faith that God's umbrella is bigger than the podium, okay? It's great to be with you this morning. I'm very, very glad. It's actually been a while since I've been here on a Sunday morning, and it's terrific to be here to say hello to friends and to spend some time this, with you this morning. And, of course, most importantly, to lead in a service of confirmation and reception. What I want to talk about this morning directly ties into where we are in terms of this being the Easter season. As you know, one of the peculiarities of our tradition, but it's true for some of the other more liturgical traditions as well, is that Easter is 50 days. So we're still saying, Alleluia, Christ is risen. And that framework is the lens through which we actually should be looking at the scriptures for this morning. The pointed quote I've never forgotten is that one time Karl Barth 20th century theologian, particularly in the 30s and 40s and early 50s, uh, was asked one time about why he was a Christian. And his response was, I am a Christian because I believe God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Period. In other words, it's not, well, my family's always been in the church, or some other comment that you could talk about somehow receiving it, in essence, as a kind of cultural statement or as a habit of how I spend my time. I'm, I go to church on Sunday morning. Now, Bart cut to the heart of things by saying, who is a Christian anyway? Because he really was giving a definition that, in fact, is meant to be applicable to anyone who says that they are believers in Jesus Christ, is that he believes that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the assumption in all of the lessons this morning, and particularly in the gospel reading. It is the framework out of which Jesus makes some incredibly audacious claims, not the least of which was, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. I mean, think about it. It's an astonishing statement. Jesus is either crazy, or he is in fact speaking the truth of who in fact he is, because what he's doing is making a direct correlation. Paul picks this up when he describes Jesus as the exact likeness of the invisible invisible God. And what he's not doing there is describing physical characteristics. What he's talking about is a nature, the very essence of who Jesus is, which is why in the creeds we say, 
God from God, light from light. In other words, we believe that as Jesus walked the earth, as Jesus taught his disciples and the crowd, as Jesus healed the sick, cast out demons, spoke words of tremendous judgment against those who rejected him. This was God in the human flesh, showing humanity who, in fact, God is. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. In other words, what we believe with all of our hearts, I hope, is that Jesus becomes, by his witness, words and deeds, as recorded in the four Gospels. He is the plumb line by which we judge what is of God and what is not of God. In other words, if it looks like Jesus, if it parallels the words of Jesus, if there's a reflection of the deeds of Jesus, then chances are, most likely, as Paul says, the very same Spirit which raised Jesus from the dead, what? Dwells in you, so in that messenger, and therefore we can enter into a conversation with a person who comes in that name to find a way to learn together, share together, regardless of their cultures or backgrounds, regardless of the way they get at the Scripture, which may or may not be in the same way that we do. You know, there are people in other cultures that read the Gospels differently from us, not in a way that is contradictory, but they see things we don't see. If you are being persecuted, I was saying something about this to the people being confirmed. If you're being persecuted, if serving Jesus is in fact costing you your employment or your livelihood or your capacity to be able to earn a living or enter into relationships with others who are not Christian, you will see things in the Gospels that are very different than the things that we see because we assume all of those things are in fact not true for us, which in fact, for the most part, they aren't. Though you will notice that when people come forward to be confirmed, one of the things that I do after God's covering and protection, the oil of the Holy Spirit making the sign of the cross, the sort of infamous thing that I do is they get a slap. Not like that, I promise. But it's a reminder that we are entering into a fellowship of those who have said yes to Jesus Christ and understand that there is, in fact, a price to pay for being a follower of Jesus. And that there could be opposition, there could be, as we say, you know, in our own slang, blowback from people who call, who oppose the things that we say, which is why it is so incredibly important, particularly for people who are spokespersons, to have the kind of character and the kind of life that backs up their words. Inevitably, what makes the headlines, isn't this true, is when that's not the case. When someone who is a leader who calls him or herself a Christian, but they spend money in a way that doesn't look like Jesus at all, or they ignore the plight of people in need in a way that's not true for Jesus, or worse, they're caught in some kind of financial or sexual scandal I mean, I get this when I walk, and I'm sure this is probably true for others as well, when I walk in public in, you know, my clergy collar, particularly young people who aren't Christians, you know what goes through their mind? 
It's the caricatures and the real-life stories that they have already heard about people who don't look like they're following Jesus, even though they say so. So, I mean, I can sort of see it on their faces. I mean, I walk into a Panera or a local restaurant or something like that, and people look up, and sometimes, sometimes there is a smile of recognition, but other times there's, oh, well, I wonder who he really is. Is he a predator? Is he a swindler? Because in much of our popular culture, those are the kinds of assumptions that people do make about Christian leaders, given who makes the news. And because that's the case now, in this day in which we live, probably as important as ever, that when we think about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, there's a, there are action items. They're character questions. Notice when the people are being confirmed, it's not just a statement of faith where they say, I believe, but they also have questions asked of them, and they're not easy questions. And, they, and the, response, the question is, will you? In other words, will you begin to take on these behaviors? A lot more than saying, I believe up here, it has to do with the way a life is shaped to, in fact, become a follower of Jesus. That's why we start with the gospel reading, because this is tough work. It's not easy. And because that's the case, because there's a sacrifice to be made, there's a cost to this that is significant, we start with who is Jesus. Because, you see, if we really believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, that God did that to show the world that everything that Jesus said about himself was true, including the winning of our salvation, the conquering of death, the promise of eternal life, even the one that we see in the gospel reading this morning, then we're willing to take the risks. Because, you see, as I think about my life, I'm not thinking about how I'm going to get from here to there. I'm talking about how I get from here to heaven. And Lord, what does that shape look like if I'm going to be a faithful follower of Jesus, knowing that where I'm headed is not just an end in and of itself, where I finally am dead and buried and they read the will and people reminisce, but actually where I am is that I'm going into the very presence of God. I'm going to that place which we call heaven. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and gather you to myself. That's what we were reading, and in fact, that's what's said at almost all of our funerals. But it's meant, in fact, to define the way we think about the course of our life, not just merely the assurance of when we die, we will be received into the arms of God. In other words, the character of our life is meant to, in fact, re reflect a commitment to an eternal destination and not a temporal one. So I'm called upon in that light to live out the values of heaven far more so than any earthly values. And that's what Jesus talks about. 
It has to do with a care for everyone, no matter who he or she is, regardless of background, education, or race, that I'm willing to give myself particularly for those in need because that's what we saw Jesus do. Jesus was always concerned about the people who were getting the short end of the stick, particularly by the religious establishment. Therefore, we step into that same place because one of the values of heaven is that all people matter. There is no such thing as an expendable human being. And because that's the case, we try to think about that in terms of how we spend our money, how, what our policies look like, even how we order ourselves as a culture. Because you see, God is the God of the whole world, not just the God of Christians. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, John 3.16. Not just for God so loved believers in Jesus that he gave his only begotten son. And that means everything that happens in the world, in fact, matters to God. So that your well-being, personally and your family, matters to God. And those who, were di who died yesterday in the shooting in Texas also co-equally matter to God. And therefore, how do we think about that in that light? You see, that's the perspective that we choose to bring to even very contemporary conversations because the world matters. Christianity is not just a private set of beliefs that I try to find a way to live out. If we believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that God loves the whole world, then what happens out there matters just as much to God as anything that we do. So, beloved, it comes back to the question, do you believe that God raised Jesus Christ from the dead? If you can say, I believe, then you've got work cut out for you. We have work cut out for us. Because in every community, in every culture, the task of Christians is to sit down, Bibles open, and saying, okay, what does the Scripture say, and how do we find a way to live that out, both individually but also as a Christian community? And particularly trying to listen to voices who don't look like us, who are not from our communities, because as I said earlier, they see things in the gospel that we don't. And therefore, we learn from them. One of the things that I value pretty much the most about being in a global communion where the average Anglican on the planet is non-white, quite young, and more than likely female, is that they read the Gospels differently. And I want to hear from them because I don't want my cultural bind blinders because we all have them, no matter who we are. Get in the way of me only hearing the words of Jesus that affirm who I am, rather than hearing the words of Jesus that challenge me to become. Because that is, in fact, the task. Which is why when the will you behavior questions get asked of the confirmands, their response is, I will, <laughs> with God's help. Because these are big, as I said to them, it takes a lifetime, and we're in this together. So, first of all, 
I want you to live into the glory of the eternal promise of Jesus as God raised, raising him from the dead, as the one who, in fact, conquered death and the courage and the poise that, in fact, provides for us. That because we know that death is not the end, it's in fact a door, and it's a door into eternity, into that place there where there's no pain, where there's no grief. God wipes away every tear from every eye. That gives us the courage to go into places of real suffering, knowing that the suffering that they are enduring, about which we weep, by the way, because it is far less than anything God would desire. But we come in with a prayerful word of hope, and most importantly of all, we are not afraid. Because to believe in the resurrection is meant to give you courage, to live into very difficult situations, knowing that even the worst of difficulties is not the end. Bart had to walk through that. He was considered an enemy of Nazism, there were people that wanted him dead, but that in no way sh caused him to shirk his responsibility as a public Christian witness, not just somebody who sort of hung out in academia, for which he was incredibly well qualified, and deal with fellow theologians speaking German, you know, in closed rooms in Zwingli and places like that. He was in the public square, both here actually in the United States, as well as other parts of Europe. That was the courage and the poise that God gave him as someone who believed that Jesus, God raised Jesus from the dead. It's also an incredible place of personal comfort, because that means that the worst that's happened in my life and in your life is not the end, and if I'm the culprit, of, and for which I almost always am, there is mercy that the conquering of death means there really is forgiveness of sins, that the account before God is wiped clean, and that no matter what I've done in the midst of this life, if I'm crying out for the mercies of God, God imparts that mercy and forgiveness and says, even to the worst of sinners, in my Father's house are many rooms, and I go to prepare a place for you. Because I know I go into that place not based on my performance, God help us, but that instead it's based on the gift and the mercy of God, which also becomes a place of courage. Because I know even the worst of who I am does not disqualify me from being one of God's servants. So, beloved, it begins at the personal level. Courage, forgiveness, mercy, the joy of our salvation, the peace that passes all understanding. But all, all of those extraordinary, priceless gifts are given to us, not merely so that we feel comfort, as important as that is, but also as one who is comforted by the gospel, who knows the companionship of the resurrection of Jesus, I look at the world and say, God, what would you have me do? And I ask God to help me, because I'd much rather take care of myself. I'd much rather hang out with people like me. Isn't that true? Nod your head. That's true for all of us. So, in fact, to be taken out of that place into a place where I become available to God, for God to use me takes a little stepping out 
and in fact, something that could be well misunderstood by my peers. But I'm already prepared for that. See, I know that it's coming. So that even in the eyes of the world, Christians will be known by their love of all people, first and foremost, and as men and women who are willing to sacrifice for the sake of that love that will not let us go and will carry us safely into the place of eternity. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our Trinity Episcopal Church podcast. To find out more about the work God is doing through Trinity, visit us online at trinitybureau.org and follow us on Facebook.